Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachab, founder and co-CEO of My Buddy Green, and your host. Gabby Bernstein is the prolific, best-selling author of numerous books, including the number one New York Times bestseller, The Universe Has Your Back. And today she's here to chat about her latest must-read titled Happy Days, the guided path from trauma to profound freedom and inner peace. Always a pleasure to have Gabby on the show. Gabby, welcome back. Hello, my friend. It's good to be with you. I love to see you and I love to always brag that every time I come on your show, it's such a reminder of where we were 15, 16 years ago. <laughs> long time. We've known each other for a long time. Long time. Uh, as we were just discussing before we started recording, um, you know, we were doing the, the COVID catch up mm -hmm. and suffice to say, we live in a very unique time, although it's February 22, I'm an optimist, things are looking up, looks like we're finally coming out of this beginning of the end. From your perspective, a lot, lot going on with us mentally, emotionally, and spiritually right now. And you talk about blocks in the book, and you've talked about blocks for years. And I'm curious, in your opinion, what are some of the biggest spiritual blocks we're facing right now? And in, in February 22. I think that a lot of folks are having a bit of an existential crisis because maybe people were walking through life feeling pretty disconnected from any belief system in spirituality, or maybe they had a spiritual connection. But when we are faced with crisis, that's when we crack open to whatever desire there is to have that spiritual faith, we crack open to it in a much bigger way. So I've witnessed a lot of people cracking open, waking up, going deeper in their personal growth, going deeper in their spiritual quest. I've seen the last two years than I've ever seen before. But I've also seen a lot of people numb out because when stuff, when the you know what hits the fan, the when the shit hits the fan let's just be real when the shit hits the fan and you have a worldwide pandemic and you're told to stay home and everyone is so divisive and the politics are insane and everything that we're facing in this moment there's two choices you can numb out or you can wake up more so i've witnessed both i've really witnessed both and i think that this has definitely been a time where people have been relying on faith and spirituality and personal growth and a new perspective more than ever before, because when everything's taken from you, you're left with questioning, well, what else is there? And something you've talked about prolifically on, on your, your Instagram and, and also touched on in the book, trauma, we're experiencing a lot of collective trauma and, you know, I, I love the way, you know, trauma isn't you talk about the big T and the little T. And so we tend to think of trauma and the big T, you know, that, that big traumatic event, whether the end of a relationship, an accident, uh, a health scare, but there's also the little T. And so ha in the context of, of COVID and where we are right now, how do you think about the big T and the little T and how we deal with it, manage it, come yeah. out of it? 
So a big T trauma, like you said, are the moments of sexual violence or growing up with an alcoholic parent or repeated neglect or, you know, a catastrophic event that you've lived through. And then the small T traumas, as you mentioned, are very uh, often overlooked being bullied. We just witnessed this young boy that just committed suicide from being bullied. We don't take it as seriously as it is. Being bullied is, in this case, was a big T trauma for that young boy. And this just came out yesterday. And there's so much of that happening around the world. It's, it's heartbreaking. But being bullied, while it may be a big T or a small T trauma, is going to dictate the way someone lives th their life, the way they brush their teeth, the way they show up in all relationships. It's going to show up in their life from childhood to wherever they are now. A small T trauma could be being like in when I was sixth grade. In sixth grade, I had a boy that I liked, and the, the boy told me I was stupid. That affected my ability to learn and my entire education from that point forward. And only in this last year, I got I did a training in a therapy system. And now I've got like my CE credits. And it was only now at 42 where I was like, I'm a really good student. And that kid fucked it up. You know what I mean? So is it, is that, yeah, I mean, God bless him. But these moments in time really affect our nervous system and affect the way that we show up for our lives. Now it's more than ever, because if we have small T unresolved or big T unresolved trauma, when things like crisis, like COVID, like feeling out of control, like feeling afraid of certain people or the, all the disagreement and divisiveness, any feeling of, uns of being unsafe will activate a small T trauma or a big T trauma. So I often joke around that God is my publicist because I wouldn't, if I'd published this book like three or four years ago, I think it would have been harder for people to get their head around. They would have been like, you know, Gabby, can't you just write manifesting books? Like, I don't want to talk about trauma or look at my trauma, but right now this is the book that everyone's like, I've never needed this more. And the, the subtitle of the book, well, the book is Happy Days, The Guided Path from Trauma to Profound Freedom and Inner Peace. And that is a big subtitle. And I wouldn't have been able to put my face on the cover of that book with that subtitle if I could not really stand behind it. And I can today. So I wrote it when I was ready to. And I also believe that when it was spiritually and divinely timed. So you share the story of the little T when a inferior classmate of yours called you stupid and, and mm -hmm. it really stuck with you. And if I think of that story and I think of little T, there's just so much little T happening right now yeah. in a world that is very divisive, where social media is toxic, where people don't always pause and think before they open their mouth. I just think little T is everywhere. And so with that said, how do we exercise our spiritual muscles mm -hmm. so that when that little T comes spiritually, we're equipped to just rise above it and not let that little T, that insult take us down or be in the back of our head for hmm. 30 years? So it depends on if it's new little T in the moment, real time, a little T trauma that you're experiencing as an adult resourced human, or if it's little T trauma that is reminiscent of childhood little T trauma, right? So if you right now, like if somebody came to me right now and they were like, you're stupid, I would be like, 
no, I'm not. You know what I mean? Because I've worked, I've really worked through that. Or let me just give a better example. If somebody came to me right now and said, you know, you're, if there was something that was limiting me in some way, I've never really felt, I felt very limitless in my life. So that might be seemingly traumatic, but it wouldn't affect me as much as something that looked more like a childhood wound. Is that making sense? Yeah. So if you're experiencing a trauma like having to say goodbye to your kids and off to school with the mask on, I mean, that's a traumatic event to, to have to witness your child go to school every day with a mask on. Not that we haven't needed what we've needed, but or witnessing the, you know, yourself being afraid of others in the grocery store and things like that. That may be a new event for you. It may not have a history. And so you're experiencing as an adult, as, a, as someone without a trigger behind it. But if it's something that's reminiscent of a childhood unresolved experience, like going to school and feeling confined in some way, or and then seeing it in your child, or being afraid of other people because of something that happened to you as a child, then it's going to be extraordinarily activated right now because it's an old unresolved wound that's now being reactivated and therefore you're being re-traumatized with all the different experiences that we're having in this difficult time. If we think about the unresolved wounds, what what's the best way to approach them? Yeah. And how do we know how big, I guess for some people, it's pretty clear if the wound is massive and it's really stopping them from realizing their potential and others, the wound may be you know, smaller and not hurting their ability to thrive in their daily lives. Like how do you, one, how do you, how do you assess that? And then how do you attack it? Yeah. So this, this is, that is the question that is answered in every page of this book. And I'm going to, it's funny when you get on these podcasts, you're like, read the book, you know, <laughs> but, but no, I'm you gonna, should buy, buy the book first and then you can read buy it. it, read it. And if you can't <laughs> afford it, read your friends, just get to <laughs> it somehow. And, and if you can't afford it, like, I want to just give it to everybody. <laughs> My publishers are like, stop. Okay. But I, but I will say that we first have to recognize that we're running from something. In the first two chapters of the book, I start to identify why we run. Why are we running? And what are the ways that we run? And when I say run, push down the impermissible. So we have these childhood wounds that are so impermissible. They've been locked up under lock and key. They've been never going to talk about that, never going to feel that again. And we build up all these forms of protection. They're parts of ourselves, protection mechanisms, to avoid having to ever feel that pain again. And so we first want to take an audit of what triggers us, how we feel when we're in that trigger, and then what do we do to avoid the feeling? Okay, that's the how we run part, right? So for me, I, got, I used to get really triggered when things felt out of control at work. What did that feel like? It felt like tension in my stomach, tension in my body. I wanted to rage. You know, I felt outraged. I felt out of control. And then what would I do? I would just try to control every single detail. I would swoop in and take over. I would just start believing that if I didn't do it, nobody else would. And so when we look at that kind of inventory, and I ask the reader to do that several times over, you're going to see a lot of patterns there. And you're going to see, okay, those are a lot of triggers that keep coming up. Those are a lot of feelings that keep coming up. And there's a lot of behavior that I'm doing to not have to feel that feeling. And so when you take that inventory in the first few first two chapters of this book and you look more closely, then you can have the ability to become brave enough to wonder what might live beneath 
the trigger in the first place. That is a very slow, steady process. This is a book that is meant to, one, help people recognize they're not alone in my really experiencing my story, but to be given the guided path from trauma to profound freedom and inner peace. And that guided path is through the lens of my eyes. It's through the lens of a spiritual student. It's through the lens of a devoted patient in therapy. It's through the lens of a woman who's been spent more than half of her life in the devotional journey of undoing the past and reclaiming a new way of being, a new state of mind, a new energetic vibration, a new nervous system in the present. That is my hope is that the reader says, oh, okay, I feel really held by her story and I feel recognized. And then to be led to each practice in this book to help them with all of the methods that are ready for them to unresolve. So methods like somatic experiencing, really regulating your nervous system. And I can share some of that on the podcast today. Methods like internal family systems therapy, which is really powerful for helping your system settle, like really becoming the leader, your own spiritual leader within. Okay. I introduce EMDR, which is a beautiful therapeutic practice. Again, very touching on the subconscious and really helping the brain open up its capacity to reprocess experiences that never got processed properly. And then I offer up in the book a lot of uh, EFT, emotional freedom technique and tapping exercises, some of which I can share with you today as well. And that's that's something. So that's the beauty is I introduced these therapeutic processes that were really almost like an angelic force in my life that really helped me heal. But I also simultaneously share in real-time methods that the reader can begin to do right here, right now to start to regulate, to start to feel a sense of safety in their body, to start to undo some thought patterns. And this is a really body-based book in a lot of ways too, because Sometimes we can't, without the help of a therapist and many, maybe even a deep dive with therapy, we can't always undo the old stories with talk therapy so quickly. But when we start to focus on where they live in our body and the way that they're truncated in certain parts of our body and the ways that we respond to those emotions, then we can start to slowly undo the tangled mess that's living inside of us. I love it. And you mentioned some of those techniques. Let's go there, specifically EMDR and EFT, I think are really interesting and we don't talk enough about either. So can Mm -hmm. you give us a primer on both techniques? Mm -hmm. So I did this thing with EMDR. So EMDR, I would recommend if if you have a big T trauma or even a small T trauma, I, I recommend working with an EMDR therapist. And if it's a small T trauma, it could get worked out in as little as eight sessions. It's pretty miraculous or even less maybe. Big T might want to last a little bit longer. But what I've done for the introduction of EMDR in this book is I took a practice that I learned from a girlfriend of mine who studied the work of Dr. John Sarno. And Sarno's work is all based on the fact that when we have physical symptoms, there's a psychosomatic root condition, a root cause condition that's happening and he refers to it as impermissible rage, fear, shame. You know, he really speaks directly to the rage. And so I was dealing with some jaw TMJ issues. And I started to talk to my friend, Nicole Sachs, who does a lot of work with the Dr. Sarno work. And she said, oh, you should do this thing that I love. It's called journal speak, where you write in your journal for 20 minutes, and then you meditate for 20 minutes. 
and you just let your brain dump. There's a lot of practices like this out there, but this was a big one that Sarno really advocated because he wanted you to get that subconscious rage and whatever is in you out of you and then followed by the meditation. So I then take it a little, another step further because you know me, I'm like a spirit junkie. And I was like, well, how can I make this even more intense? So I started listening to EMDR music. So what EMDR does is it's bilateral brain stimulation. So you're either listening to a, mu a song that buzzes, that has like a tone in the right ear and then a tone in the left ear and then right, left, or you have buzzers in either hand, or you're looking back and forth. And it's called eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And the thesis is that if you're eyes are going back and forth or you have the stimulus in either ear, it's opening up your brain's capacity to reprocess old storylines, old emotional disturbances, old truncated traumas, and in the present moment, undo that storyline and how it affects your body. And it may not have to be specific to the trauma. It could be as, you know, just how I'm feeling right now. So this brings it back to the rage on the page. This is what I named it. So I took the journal speak. I named it Rage on the Page, okay? And for 20 minutes, I asked the reader to journal the shit out of that page or pages and just get it all out. Rage, shame, anger, whatever's up in the moment, you know, if you're just like, I don't really feel very good. And do this every single day. I did this for th two and a half years now. And I did it while I was listening to the binaural music. So I had that bilateral brain stimulation while fully letting out everything that's going on and did that for 20 minutes straight. And then, went in, then I go into a 20-minute meditation, still listening to that bilateral brain stimulation. And so this works because you have, and I, I can give you a, a link to the show notes of the EMDR music. So it's combining this process of you're, you're not in therapy, right? So you want to just take on a practice right now. And this is one of the ones that I really recommend in the book. So you sit down and you dedicate 40 minutes. And if you don't have 40, do 30, 15, and 15. And you just play that bilateral music, which immediately starts to soothe your system because it's just so relaxing. And in that space of relaxation and having that stimulus in your brain, you begin to open up what's called the window of tolerance to process your feelings. And you don't have to think about it or do it. Just listen to the fucking music and just do this. And write, 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 write everything that's up. You know, I'm so pissed because you know, we were talking just now about like the school system in New York City, whatever it is, you know, or I'm trying to get my kids into school or I can't lose that weight or I'm so outraged. It doesn't have to be about the original trauma. It can just be about where you are today because where you are today is always a reflection of where you were years ago and you haven't resolved it. Everything you do in your life today, like I said, when one of my therapists said, your trauma shows up in the way you brush your teeth. <laughs> so it's there. So write about whatever's up in the present and then meditate for 20 minutes after that. That practice, and, and I'll even add another element, while you're meditating, lie back, relax your body as much as you can, and place your right hand on your heart and your left hand on your belly. And that hold right there is another method in the book that I'm just adding into this. That's a heart hold that is so soothing to your nervous system. The listener isn't driving. They can try it right now. Just press your right hand on your heart and your left hand on your belly and just really just start to breathe deeply. Inhale deeply and exhale completely. 
and just breathe again, inhale deeply and exhale completely and just allow your body to settle in that presence of that hold. I was just adding it onto the rage on the page exercise. But all this is in the book. It's broken down perfectly in the book. But I just wanted to share as an, an example of how even without an EMDR therapist, you can have an experience of it. No, I'm, I'm glad you walked us through. And you, know, you mentioned Dr. John Sarno. I think many know him from his seminal book, Healing Back Pain. Like so many people, that, that book is like an all-time bestseller for anyone experiencing back pain. And it works. <laughs> yeah, it does. So you also mentioned EFT. So emotional EFT, otherwise known as emotional freedom technique, which I bet a lot of your viewers and listeners are familiar with because you guys have written about it. EFT is similar to EMDR in that you tap on different energy meridians on your upper body. And while you're tapping, you're talking about an emotional disturbance that you want to work out. And it could be an old story from your past, or it could be as simple as I felt out of control in the grocery store because somebody sneezed on me, right? But that moment in the grocery store has a reflective past, as we've already addressed. So you tap on different energy meridians all throughout your upper body. All of this is in the book, and I've laid it out, and I've offered videos as well. And those energy meridians stimulate parts of your nervous system to settle while you're addressing that root cause condition. One of the tools I can give you right now for an EFT practice is if you're feeling anxious or stressed out or afraid, tap between your ring finger and your middle finger. You can see that, Jason, between your ring finger and your middle finger. And tap right there on that meaty part of your skin and just say to yourself, I am safe. I am safe. I am safe. And that's extremely settling to the system. To repeat that affirmation while tapping that point, that point is kind of like the holy shit point. Like when you're having a panic attack, that's your point. And tap that point and just remind yourself, I am safe. Breathe deeply and completely and just keep reminding yourself, I am safe. I am safe. Inside the book, I give full-blown tapping exercises for shame, for anxiety. Just real break it down. I break it down thoroughly. I think that's very helpful for someone who's experiencing anxiety in the moment. And I, I know so many people have benefited from, from EFT. Mm -hmm. And as I think of other feelings right now, a lot of people are feeling anxious. And also something you talk about in the book is feeling of, of worthiness. And then mm -hmm. on the flip side, unworthiness. But mm -hmm. you say not in a material sense, which I thought was interesting. Can you elaborate? What I learned early in my therapy from my therapist who I've been with for a decade was that our deepest wound is that we feel unlovable and inadequate. And we spend our lifetime numbing that pain, numbing that wound. And underneath all of the storylines, you know, maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't feel unlovable or inadequate, but whatever that feeling for you may be, that impermissible feeling for you may be, comes back to feeling unlovable or inadequate. And so that sensation in our body, we want to push down, we want to run from, that storyline we want to avoid. You know, you see it all the time, like people, many people in our field, friends of ours, God bless them, you know working so hard to be seen on social media, working so hard to be seen in their lives. Maybe someone listening is familiar with that for themselves. 
And you may not identify as feeling unlovable or inadequate, but I guarantee that underneath that need to be seen is a little girl or little boy that just feels unlovable or inadequate. The same goes for proving ourselves in our careers or looking for love in all the wrong places. We do all these things outside of ourselves to not have to even face that horrific feeling within. And I go deep into this in the book when I teach an introduction to internal family systems therapy, which I'm obsessed with. As I mentioned, I got trained in it recently, and I'm just going to keep getting more and more training because it's probably been the most life-changing therapeutic process for me. And I want to really simplify it for everybody. IFS, or Internal Family Systems, was founded by my friend Dr. Uh, Dick Schwartz, and he's just an amazing human, and he, I believe, channeled this incredible model. And it is based on the premise that we have multiple different parts of who we are. We're not just one person with a lot of bad behavior. We're many different parts. And so we have these parts that we were just talking about, the unlovable and the inadequate, and those are often child parts that were traumatized, big T or small T, and they've been tucked away and pushed down and they're under lock and key. And then we have these protector parts, which is, you've definitely said this to yourself, like, oh, there's a part of me that gets outraged when, or there's a part of me that hates when people post this, or there's a part of me that, you know, yells when I'm mad, or, you know, the parts of yourself that you may be, or there's a part of me that wants to drink a lot, or there's a part of me that was a cocaine addict, you know? So we have all these different parts of ourselves. And instead of seeing them as just bad habits or bad qualities that we have, what if we saw them as forms of protection, parts of us that were showing up to protect us from having to feel the impermissible feeling of shame, inadequacy, being unloved? And so we build up all these protector parts. And for me, protector parts were the, the cocaine addict, for the drug addict, the alcoholic. For me, another form of protection was the, the controller, you know, the person that would flip out when things weren't working at work and try to control everything, the hypervigilant part. And these were all parts that had a very important role in my internal system at the time that they were really high and extreme because that's all I could do at that. So I can look back now with a lot of compassion towards my cocaine addict part and say, you were doing the best you could. I can look back and say it with a lot of compassion and gratitude to my workaholic part. You were doing the best you could. You were channeling a lot of energy that you didn't want to feel into good. And you wrote nine books in 11 years. Okay, you did good. But you don't have to be that extreme anymore. And so the goal isn't to get rid of these parts that we think are bad. The goal is to help them become less extreme. Because when they're less extreme, they're rock stars, right? Like my workaholic part, when she's not a workaholic and she's just a hard worker, she kicks ass, right? She's done 85 podcasts for this book and she's doing everything to get this book out, I'm serious, out into the world. And she's not burnt out because she's caring for herself, asking for help, taking days off. You know, I canceled on you to come back to this. I was sick, you know, I didn't push no, through. No, you didn't get, you rescheduled. You didn't get, you rescheduled. I rescheduled, that's right. <laughs> but that's my point. It's like, I can do it without blowing my system out. So the point is that the way that we help these more controlling parts get out of that fearful, extreme state 
is helping them connect to what's called self with a capital S. And in spiritual people might call it God, universe, higher self, inner guidance system. In IFS, we call it self with a capital S. And self is compassionate, calm, curious, courageous, really often looking to support the system, always looking to support the system. When I say the system, I mean the other parts. And so when you start to look at your extreme patterns, aka protector parts, from that lens of curiosity and compassion and calmness, you help them relax the same way you would with your kid. It's like your kid's having a meltdown, your kid's acting out. Yeah, sometimes you flip out and you can't handle it, and that's parenting. But the majority of the time, I hope these listeners are as trying to establish connection, trying to bring calmness, compassion, recognizing that the child's brain has only a certain capacity. Imagine if we cared for our own inner family of parts the same way we cared for our children. Imagine if we extended that same curiosity and creativity and compassion and courage to the parts of us that have been so activated for so many years. And we saw them as these beautiful inner child, inner children that needed so much compassion and love. Then the protectors could relax. And then in therapy, I really recommend in therapy, when the protectors relax, you can start to connect to the exiled parts. My job is not to connect people to exiled parts. That needs to be done in IFS therapy. But my job is to help people what it's called is get direct access to self. So get a direct line, like people say, have a direct line to God, you know, to have a direct line to that inner parent that is so compassionate and so calm and so courageous and connected and let that parent start to be the voice that we hear. I love it. A lot to unpack there. And I'm going to come back to this direct line to self. I think that's so powerful. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, you mentioned your struggles with addiction and whether we have an addiction issue or not, I I think there's so much we can all learn from AA. And I'm curious, having been through that program, what do you think makes it so effective and what can we all learn, Mm -hmm. whether we have a a problem or not from those steps? To me, it's just, it's so powerful. And there are takeaways for those who don't struggle with addiction and who just want to fulfill their purpose, have a better life, deal with their crap. When I first got sober when I was 25, I was like, one of the big reasons I wanted to write these books was to give people who don't have the privilege of getting clean and sober and getting into AA the opportunity to do some of this type of work on themselves. And I really mean that because being a recovering addict is one of the greatest privileges in life. Because we have a chance to know what true fellowship and unconditional love from strangers is. People who have experienced our experiences and to truly feel a connection to people all over the world. The second I meet somebody who's in sobriety, it's like within minutes, like there's within seconds, we're just like there's instant connection. So for me, that's, that's one of the most beautiful elements is the fellowship. It's a tough question to answer, Jason, because one of the rules in the 12 steps is that we don't speak about it 
or promote it in these kinds of settings, right, in any publicity. And the reason being that if I'm out there, as I have been, and I'm going to be honest, like I can't help but promote it because it's something that it changed my life and it gave me life. But if you're out there, if I'm out there and I'm promoting it and then God forbid I go out, it makes it look like it doesn't work. So that's the challenge being in the public eye and being asked about recovery. What I can say, it's tough. You know, I don't have any intention of going out. I'm 16 years sober. I don't know what tomorrow brings. But I will say that this program worked miracles for me. And I guess in that sentence, I'm doing exactly what I'm not supposed to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, let me rephrase it. I have another way of asking the question. And I'll, I have not been through the program, but in knowing what I know about the program, it seems to me that this idea of surrender, letting go, letting God, is not only one of the, the cornerstones of the 12 steps, but it is the, the foundation of every major religion every major spiritual practice, and it's hard. But when you are truly able to surrender, it, it's really powerful. No matter how type A you are, no matter how obsessive you are, no matter how driven you are, it's hard to let things go. It's hard to surrender. But when you're truly able to do it, it's powerful. And to me, that's, to me, the magic, so much of the magic of the program in general. And I think about like the commonalities between every major religion and spirituality, like surrender. So like, what? Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll, I'm not going to mention the program, but what, let's talk about surrender. Why do you think surrendering is so powerful? Why do you think it's so hard for us to truly do? So surrender is the cornerstone of all spiritual faith and, and 12 step programs and really any I believe any genuine personal growth or spiritual path because the practice of surrender means and implies that you're letting go of the rope, that you're no longer going to run the show, that your will is not the way. And that doesn't mean that we disengage from life. But it means that we lean into an internal voice that is only love. And that whether we do it through, through IFS or we do it through A Course in Miracles or we do it through religion or we do it through 12-step, but what we do is we connect to and establish a direct line to a higher power of our own understanding. And that, for many people, they say in the 12 steps, fake it till you make it. And for a lot of people, they'll pray. And then one day, and they don't know why or they don't know who they're praying to. And then one day, all of a sudden, they hear an inner sense respond or they feel peace or they feel that they actually have indeed let go of that struggle for the, you know, temporarily for the moment, whatever it may be. For me, my faith has strengthened. I've been a spiritual teacher for 16 years. And my faith has strengthened year after year after year, so much so that it was, I really witnessed it show up for me. And I'll tell that story after I completely answer your question, okay? So to answer your question, why is it so hard? Well, I was speaking earlier about the protector mechanisms, right? All the ways that we protect the alcohol, the, the drugs. Those are all ways of managing 
our life, managing our fears, managing our exiled parts of ourselves. And we build up such fierce management styles that the idea of letting them down, dropping our guard, asking for help from a higher power, from a spiritual connection or an inner voice of love is terrifying because we've learned to rely on these protection mechanisms as a way to stay safe. And so even contemplating, letting go, giving over, letting the universe show you what to do, asking God for help, or even surrendering it to your own inner wisdom feels absolutely terrifying, consciously or unconsciously, because we are terrified of letting go of those parts of us that have been so protective and so extreme. The reason that strengthening your faith and having a faith of your own understanding is absolutely mandatory, particularly, I mean, I don't want to say mandatory, people can do whatever they want to do, but for me, it's necessary, is because it has been my way of getting out of the way and letting spirit you know, non-physical presence beyond my sight, God, an ever-present energy of love within me and around me, self, the energy within me that is compassionate, caring, love, courageous, letting all of those spiritual ways that I believe and know to be true to become the louder voice in the room, aka my inner room of my mind, to become the loudest voice, the first voice, the most, the first responder. And that only happens rather than fear being the first responder. And that only happens through the practice of genuinely surrendering to an inner guidance system or a higher power beyond you. And that is really hard for folks if they have old religious beliefs or if they just can't get behind spirituality. And that's why I love that I introduced IFS because in my opinion, I'm not in the clinical space, so I can speak like this. In my opinion, IFS is the most radical spiritual practice of connecting to your own God within, your own guru within, your own internal parent. It's profound because every single one of us, and this is not just spiritual mumbo jumbo, every human being has self with a capital S. We all have at our core, courageous, compassionate, calm, creative presence. And so the more that we strip away the blocks to the presence of that self within us, the easier it is to surrender to it. And it's hard, Jason, because we're not taught this. This isn't what our parents, I mean, you and I might be pulling our kids aside and teaching this, but this is not what our parents taught us. This is not the storyline we were meant to believe in. And I was brought up in visiting ashrams and spiritual settings. That didn't help. You know, I, I wasn't taught the, con the direct line connection to love. And so we have to retrain ourselves to rely on that inner sense of safety and that inner guidance system. And it can start with prayer. It can start by just, you know, fake it till you make it, like I said before saying, you know, pray, praying and, and just saying, okay, I've got this new issue at work and I'm just going to give it to God. And I don't know what the hell that means, but I'm just going to give it over and getting on your knees and saying prayers. And that's beautiful because for me, that's what worked. I just 
faked it till I made it. And I would pray and pray and pray every single day. I would just act as if. And in time, those prayers became two-way conversations where I would ask and then I would hear a response. I would literally audibly at times hear responses and sometimes just intuitively, or even the response may have just come in my whole inner system just settling. And so I was going to come back to this story, which is that three months ago, I was five and a half months pregnant. And I had spent a year, all of 2020, doing IVF, eight or nine rounds of IVF treatment to get one healthy embryo that I tested. And his name was Owen. And after that treacherous year of IVF, I had this beautiful miracle embryo. Became pregnant right away when I did the transfer and carried until five and a half months. And it turned out that my placenta wasn't giving him the strength that he needed to continue growing. And I had to let, I had to let, I had to let him go. It wasn't like I lost him. I had to let him go. And these are some of the stories that are sort of unshakable traumas in our life that we, many of us experience, men and women, and they're very common, but they're traumas. This is a trauma to the body, to the, to the spiritual, to, to, to your spirit, to your nervous system. And coming out of that, yes, I went through big emotions and a lot of turmoil, but within days, I was still, I mean, I'm still grieving, but it, within days, I felt this sense that I was falling into this pillow of faith and that there was a strong knowing, all right, this soul came to you to teach you, to bring you closer to your husband and your child, to help you never sweat the small stuff. And the soul has potential of coming back in a different way. And as long as you stay open to creative possibilities, this, is, this will be what it is meant to be. And that faith was so loud and so profound and so settling. And I literally felt like, oh, Gabby, here you go. This is what you've been training for. And it was profound for me to witness this one personal, this one specific experience that I've been counseling women on for decades of miscarriage and really sitting there in the midst of it and experiencing it and saying, yep, everything I've been saying definitely applies here. And to really feel the presence of my spiritual commitment holding me up in those moments and in, in, in still to this moment. Powerful. Thank you for sharing. You know, I think so many of us tap, in, tap our faith and are forced to go deep when we need to go deep. And, and when you're experiencing a loss like that, you know, you start... You, Personally, you start, but what I've seen with me, I start to quite a wall, you know, not sweating, not sweating the small stuff. Like, why did I need this big thing to happen? Remind me of this silly thing I already know. Hmm. And, you know, my, my question to you, how do we, I'm going to bring it back to the, the direct line to self. I think it's so powerful. You know, you, you don't, you don't want to have that traumatic loss or wake up call to start building those spiritual muscles. You want to, you want to work on them now. You don't want to have to wait for that, like yeah. cosmic kick in the ass. That's right. And so for someone listening, my closing question, for someone listening, who's busy, you know, they're, they're working hard, they're, they're being a parent. They don't have a lot of time 
for themselves. They don't have a lot of time for any practice of any kind. Maybe they just have like five minutes a day. Mm -hmm. What do you recommend that person can do if they only got five minutes to help develop or a direct line to self so that they're not waiting for the cosmic kick in the ass to do it? It's a beautiful question. It's a beautiful question. I would say spend five minutes a day checking in with the fearful thoughts that are running the show and asking them what they need. Asking them, noticing them first and asking them what they need. You might even take a moment to just get to know and reflect on what you know about those fears too. So notice, get to know, and ask what they need. We just spend so much time pushing past these thoughts and fears and protection mechanisms and trudging forward. But what if we just spend five minutes a day getting to know them and listening to them? Well said. Gabby, thank you so much. Always a pleasure. Happy days, the guided path from trauma to profound freedom and inner peace. Congratulations. Thanks, Jay. I'm going to plug that I was your first interview ever <laughs> and that you have really, I mean, your interview style is so beautiful. Thank you. I love you. Oh, thank you. You're so kind. We love you too, Gabby. Congratulations. Congratulations.